Good to be with all of you. It's kind of hard to believe that in a few short weeks, maybe five or six weeks, we're going to be turning the page of the calendar to a new year. It's kind of hard to believe it's almost 2022. We're kind of at that time of year when people start kind of planning for next year. Some of us get a little excited for next year. Sometimes there's a little anticipation for next year. Kind of get to that place. You kind of have a few hopes and dreams for next year. So if we went around the room and I asked you, said, you know, what are you, what are you looking forward to for next year? Or what do you anticipate for next year? Or is there anything that's exciting for you coming up next year? Hopefully some of you would answer some things you're looking forward to. But to tell you, to be really honest, it's been my observation that a lot of people are looking at 2022 through the lens of extreme caution. I think a lot of people are looking at next year kind of thinking, well, we'll just see what happens. I think after the last two years that we had, some people are a little bit cautious to have too big of expectations or maybe too, too cautious to have too big of hopes. I think some people, their goal is to get through 2022 by just not getting, getting sick and avoiding all political discussions. I think some of us, that's kind of our dream right now just kind of avoid anything political and avoid anything controversial. Now, I know that there's nothing that I could say or do that would change the events of the last two years. And I know that there's nothing that I could say that could change what has happened to you over the last two years. But what if there was a way for you to change how you experienced the last two years? What if there was a different way for you to experience life? What if there's a different way that you could go through the same experiences but have a different outcome in your life? See, after all, it was Jesus who said in John 16, he said, in this world, you're going to have a lot of tribulations. In other words, he said, in this world, you're going to have a lot of grief. You're going to have a lot of sorrow. You're going to have a lot of frustration. You're going to have a lot of hurt. You're going to have a lot of disappointment. But be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. Now let's be honest, how does God expect us to be of good cheer in the midst of so much uncertainty and so much frustration? How does God expect us to have peace in the middle of so much of our grief and disappointment? See, in order to understand this passage, you have to sit, stand back a couple steps to see the context of this verse. See, in this verse, Jesus is telling his disciples, he's saying, look, I'm going to be leaving you guys pretty soon. And the disciples are all thinking, no way, you can't leave us. I mean, you're finally the perfect friend we've been looking for. We like hanging around you. We like to be with you. And they're like, wait a minute, this isn't going to turn out very well if you leave me. But Jesus is saying to his disciples, yeah, it doesn't look like a good plan, but this is going to be better for you. That the disappointment you're going to have from me leaving is actually going to set you up for something even greater, something even better. Because some person is going to come, another person is going to come after me who's going to be your advocate. There's a greater person coming after me who's going to lead you into all truths and to teach you all things. And in this very passage, Jesus is teaching his followers about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying to his disciples, Look, I know life is challenging, I know your life is difficult. But you can change the way you experience the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the invitation that Jesus is making in this text. He's saying to his disciples, he said, look, you can expect the Holy Spirit to transform your life so much 
that is going to change how you experience living in this world. See, that's how you can be of good cheer in a world that's filled with tribulation. Because you're going through it with the power of the Holy Spirit that says you're going to have a different reality. See, last week we talked about a great story, one of my favorite stories of a miracle in the Bible. We talked about the man with leprosy as told in the book of Matthew. Let me just read the couple verses. It says, large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus said to him, don't tell anybody about this. Instead, go to the priest and have him examine you. Take along the offering required by the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. This is a remarkable encounter that this man with leprosy has with Jesus. One minute his body is covered with leprosy and the next he's completely healed completely restored. His leprosy is 100% gone. But how does he respond to Jesus? Jesus gives him this instructions and says, don't tell anybody. The book of Mark is going to tell you how this man responded. It said, but the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everybody what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in the secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. See, Mark tells us something interesting about the man with leprosy. How does this man respond to this great miracle that Jesus does for him? He responds in disobedience. He responds by disobeying what God had called him to do. God, Jesus told him, don't tell anybody. And the man went and he told everybody. This man's post-healing behavior actually created a new obstacle for Jesus. What this man did actually caused Jesus some frustration. It made life difficult for Jesus. Now suddenly everybody was coming to Jesus when Jesus told this man, don't tell anybody. This man made it a little bit harder to be Jesus that day. And the question that we all have is why? Why did the man do this? Why was he disobedient to God? I mean, at one moment you think this man is very genuine in this coming to Christ. He seems very genuine. He seems very sincere. But right after Jesus heals him, he's disobedient. One second later, he's completely disobedient. I think we see in this story a problem that a lot of us have is that we approach Jesus to be healed or for our crisis to end, but we're really not into long-term obedience or long-term transformation. We often want to quickly get from Jesus what we can, and then we're willing to kind of live life on our own. See, if you weren't with us last week, we talked about this man and his condition, that he had leprosy. And leprosy is a non-curable skin disease that's extremely painful, but it also causes a person to have to go live in isolation. Part of the community code, the law, the Old Testament law, was if you had leprosy, it was so contagious you had to move away from your family and friends. And most scholars believe that the colony of leopards would all live together next to the town dump because that's where you maybe could find some food or maybe find some furniture or maybe find things that you could need in the dump. So you had this whole colony of people with leprosy all lived together in this little community. And they knew life would never get better. They knew there was no cure. There was no hope. Nobody could help them. So they were, life was going to live in isolation and live in shame, and there was no hope for any of them. 
That's not the worst part. The worst part is it was common belief in that day that your leprosy was a direct result of sin in your life. So not only do people have to deal with being isolated and the long-term effects of this, but now they also believe that their very own sin causes disease and they have to live with that sin and shame and humiliation. But something happened to this man with leprosy. For some reason, he understood that Jesus could heal him. He experienced the grace of God that this man realized that he could be healed and restored. But not only did this man understand he could be healed and restored, but he also had a little bit of a theological understanding about how the timing of God works. You notice what the words of this man, he said to Jesus, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. That's kind of some deep thinking that this man understood. This man wasn't coming to Jesus saying, hey, I'm really going to beg you. Would you please, please heal me? Would you do that? But this man understood that the healing that he would receive wasn't just dependent on Jesus. It was also dependent on the timing of God. This man understood that there was a greater purpose in his life, and the timing of God was strategic in this man's life. It's like this man understood that God's all things work together for good. This man knew timing was essential. So this man says to Jesus, he says, I know you have the power to heal me. And if your power can match the timing of God, could it be today? And Jesus responds to this man. This man comes to Jesus in this act of humility. He bows down before Jesus. He does everything right. And everybody believes this man is totally sincere. And Jesus heals him. And this man is completely restored. And this man responds in disobedience. It's just kind of surprising that this man didn't listen to Jesus' instructions of don't go tell everybody, but go to the priest. See, right away this man didn't obey the words of Jesus. Now when we read this story, I think often we focus on the fact that this text says he was immediately healed. We like that part. We all would like an immediate thing to happen in our life. And I think we ignore this man's disobedience. I think it's easy to read this chapter and we kind of think, What's the big deal? What's the big deal? I mean, he told other people about Jesus. I mean, sounds like he should get like a thumbs up. Like, that's a good thing to do. But Jesus told him not to do that. But he did it anyway. Why? Why didn't he follow Jesus? And why did Jesus tell him to go to a priest first? I think we have to recognize the fact that this man was in a very unique situation. This man could not go back to the colony, the, the, to, to the little village he lived in with the other people, leprosy. He couldn't go back there. If he went back there, he would get leprosy again. He'd be around all those people. He would catch the disease again. He couldn't go back there. He couldn't go and get all of his belongings. He couldn't go back and say goodbye to his friends. That chapter of his life was closed off. And that man also couldn't go to the family and friends that he lived with before he had leprosy because they would look at him and say, you're still unclean. You didn't go to the priest. That man actually was in a position he had nowhere to go. He had no place to go live. He had no family and friends. He was still isolated. See, this man needed more than his leprosy healed. He needed every area of his life to be restored to him. For however long this man had leprosy, he got used to living in rejection. He got used to living in isolation. He got used to living with shame. He got used to living with discouragement. While this man's skin was healed, 
inside of him was still a mess. And God still wanted to restore what was inside of this man. And that's why Jesus gave him the instructions of what to do. See, God's plan wasn't just to heal the outside of this man, but God's plan was to restore everything inside of this man, to transform him into the image of Christ. And that's what God is actively doing to each and every follower of Jesus Christ. He wants to bring us wholeness. He wants to bring us integration. Everything that God is doing on our behalf is so that we can become the people he created us to be so we can have a better relationship with God and a better relationship with other people. Everything that God is doing in our life actually is for the benefit and the sake of other people. But there's one thing that blocks that, and that's dis disobedience to the spiritual formation of the plans that God has for us. This man did what's so easy for us to do. It's so easy to be known by God, encountered by Jesus, and then just stop there. And the problem that we have, we see with this man, is that when you're not obedient to the plans that God has for your life, somebody else is going to suffer. We see in the story, when this man wasn't obedient to Jesus, who suffered? Jesus. If you're not following the plans that Jesus has for your life, somebody will suffer. But it doesn't need to be that way. I love it in Luke 4, 19, where Jesus says, I've come to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Right there, what Jesus says, my plan for you is to give all of you a do-over, that you can start fresh and new to cancel your old debts to cancel your sin, to cancel the impact that sin had on your life. That's what Jesus wants to do for that man. But this man never got past the starting line. See, the message of Jesus is that he has the power to reverse the destruction that sin has caused in your life. But you're going to need to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit so you can live an integrated life. And we need to learn how to overcome all sin and shame. I think sometimes we look at shame and we think shame is just kind of a little emotion that we feel or we think of shame as some random result or consequence of sin. Now it is all those things. But sin, shame is actually a strategic tool that the enemy uses against us to block us from experiencing life the way God intended for us to experience life. That's why you see when Adam and Eve sinned, shame came with it. Shame is a destructive tool that the enemy uses against each person. One of the most knowledgeable persons on the work of shame is a Christian man by the name of Dr. Kurt Thompson. I think he says it well when he says, what's the requirement to experience shame? You're alive. Every single person is going to experience shame at some point in their life. If you ever heard the thoughts in your head of, I'm not good enough, that's shame talking to you. If you ever heard the thought of, well, if I was this way, I could do it better, that's shame. Shame is that nagging voice that always says to us, you're not good enough. If you're like somebody else, you could be better. If you didn't do that, you would be better. Shame is always that voice inside of your head that tears you down and says the world would be better off without you or you're not good enough. 
And what shame ends up doing is, number one, it corrupts our relationship with God and other people. And shame always disintegrates your gifts and ability. The enemy uses shame to try to get us to not use the spiritual gifts that God has granted to each of us. Shame is one of the strategic tools that the enemy will use to get us from moving and operating and having confidence in the Holy Spirit in our life. That's why we have to be careful with shame. Becky noted that sometimes in this West Michigan culture, that the voice of shame is sometimes viewed as humility in this culture. But some people in this culture think, oh, if I have this terrible oppression of myself, that's equal to humility. That's not. Shame's destructive. They're lies of the enemy that say you'll never be good enough. You'll never amount to anything. You'll always never be able to do what God's called you to do. That's the voice of shame. Shame's probably not going to go away. The enemy's always going to be lying to us. But what God wants us to do is to learn how to change our response to shame. God wants us to trust in the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit. So when shame speaks to us, we don't listen to it. No different than when temptation comes to us. We don't listen to it. What we need to learn is to how to live in the transforming power of the Holy Spirit so shame doesn't control us. So how do we do that? We need to learn to live like Jesus did. But the question is, how did Jesus do that? How did Jesus live his life? Have you ever wondered, how did Jesus do miracles? How was Jesus able to look into the future and prophesy? How was Jesus able to cast out demons? How was Jesus able to do all those lists of things that he did through all throughout the New Testament? See, we're called to be like Jesus. We're called to do the things that Jesus did. But I think sometimes we stumble and say, well, how did he do all that? And I think sometimes what we do as well is we say, well, that was Jesus. He's God. He can do that. I never could do that. No, that's not right. We are called to be like Jesus and to do the things Jesus did. So how did Jesus do that? See, what we typically do is we typically forget that when Jesus was born, he was fully God and he was fully man. But what did Jesus do? Philippians 2, 5 through 8 tells us something interesting. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave and he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. See, the text tells us something very interesting about Jesus. That when Jesus was born as a human being, he gave up his power to be God. It didn't leave him. He just simply surrendered it and said, I'm not going to use that power while I'm on earth. Instead, Jesus was going to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. See, everything that Jesus does, he expects us to follow and do the same thing. Jesus gave up his ability to be God, and God ask us to give up our ability to be human beings and instead rely on the power of the Holy Spirit in everything that we do. See, while Jesus was on earth, he always functioned as a human being. 
See, even after his baptism, you might remember his baptism, what happened? It says the Spirit of God came on him like a dove. Jesus didn't then suddenly revert back and start using his divinity powers. He always relied on the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that every one of us has access to. Everything that Jesus did while he was on earth was to demonstrate God's love and to teach us how to live the Christian life. That's what Jesus showed over and over throughout the gospel. How to love people and how to do it. And how did Jesus teach us? He taught us by showing us how to teach people and how to pray for people to be healed and how to pray for people that they could be set free from the power of Satan. Everything that Jesus did was to show us how to live our life in complete surrender to God and under the power of the Holy Spirit. That's all that Jesus simply did. He surrendered his divinity and was obedient to God and he lived under the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what each one of us is called to do. To surrender our life daily and to live under the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus could say to us, you're going to do greater things than I did. In John 14, Jesus says to his disciples, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to the Father. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, everything I've done, y'all are going to do that too. But I think sometimes we don't feel like we're really doing those things. I think there's times we feel like we're not doing this stuff. And I think we need to focus on how can we do this stuff. What does it look like to be totally surrendered to God and operate in the power of the Holy Spirit? How do we do that? What's it like to live under the power of the Holy Spirit? I want to, talk, to quickly talk about five important things that the Holy Spirit does in our life. The first thing that happens is when we become saved. When we surrender our life to Jesus, we're, we become baptized in the Holy Spirit, as 1 Corinthians 12 says. It says we've all been baptized into the one Spirit, and we all share the same Spirit. When you become a follower of Jesus, when you become saved, you surrender your life to Jesus, you become baptized in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of your life. And then the second thing that happens in Ephesians 1 talks about, then we are sealed by the Holy Spirit at the time of our conversion. See, not only do you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, but then the Holy Spirit starts working on your behalf to transform you into the image of Christ. That the promises of God that are for you in the Bible, they start to become a reality in your life. Then the third thing that happens with the Holy Spirit is in the book of Galatians, it tells us that we need to pray that God would produce in us the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We start praying to say, God, we want to see these attributes of Christ in our life. Then the fourth thing that happens with our relationship with the Holy Spirit is that we start walking into spiritual formation or we start walking into discipleship. This is a stage of our life where we learn how to read our Bible. We learn how to pray. We learn how to intercede for other people. We learn how to deal with things in our past. We learn how to practice hospitality. We learn how to practice silence and solitude. We learn the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is a part of our life that we are formed in the image of God, but we use some of the disciplines in our life. Then the fifth thing that happens is we experience the power of the Holy Spirit through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
There's four main lists in the Bible that talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Depending on how you count, they can be 21 gifts to 25 or 6 or 7 different gifts of the Holy Spirit. These are power things, that, power gifts that God gives to us that we can do what Jesus did. These are power things that God will come and say, you don't have the ability to do this on your own, but I'll equip you with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so you can do things that you never thought you could do on your own. So how did Jesus do this stuff? How did Jesus cast out demons? How did Jesus teach? How did Jesus heal? How did Jesus have prophetic words to give to people? How did Jesus know when people around him? See, Jesus operated in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The same gifts of the Holy Spirit that are available to us are the same gifts that Jesus used. When it was time for Jesus to have a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom, he had the spiritual gift. When it's time for Jesus to cast out a demon, he had the spiritual gift. When it's time for Jesus to heal a sick person, he had the spiritual gift. You remember that God told, Jesus said that I can only do what I see the Father doing. The reason Jesus spent so much time in isolation praying was because he had his every day to say to God, okay, what do you want me to do today? He didn't know what to do that day just because he was God. He was a human being when he woke up in the morning. So he had to say, God, what do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to pray for today? What city do you want me to go to today? That's why his prayer life was so important because he needed instructions from God on what to do that day. And if God said, today you're going to heal a sick person, then he's going to trust that the Holy Spirit was going to give him the gift to do that. Or if Jesus had to have a word of knowledge about what's going on, the Holy Spirit was going to give him that gift. Or if Jesus was going to prophesy about his very own future, how did he know those things? Because the Holy Spirit gave him the gift of prophecy at the right time. That's how Jesus did it. The Bible tells us that after Jesus was baptized, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and suddenly what did the Holy Spirit do? It started to lead him. It led him into the desert. It led him into this place to find that he had to wrestle with the enemy. It led him from city to city, place to place. That's how Jesus did the stuff. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with spiritual gifts. And Jesus also practiced spiritual formation. Jesus practiced spiritual formation. He spent time alone with God, lots of time alone with God. He spent time in fellowship with his disciples. He spent time knowing with God to know what he had to do. That's why the Bible can tell us that we're going to do the same thing that Jesus did because we have same access to the same God and we have the same access to the Holy Spirit and the same access to the spiritual gifts. That's how we can do the same things that Jesus did. But sometimes we don't expect to do it. Sometimes our expectations are so low, especially after you've been through a couple tough years. You just say, I'm just going to survive this year. Then God is saying, increase your expectation. Increase your expectation to do the things that God has called you to do. Increase your expectations that you can go to God in prayer and he'll say, this is what you're going to do today. This is who you need to pray for today. That's the expectation that God wants us to have in the new year. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if the hospitals are going to be busier than they were this year. I don't know what's going to happen. But I do know if the Holy Spirit's leading me and guiding me, directing me, I can experience tribulation with joy and peace. 
I can experience hardships with joy and peace because the Bible says Jesus has overcome everything for me. So as we surrender to Jesus, whatever we surrender to becomes greater than anything else we experience. The world's difficult. It's hard. But surrender to Jesus because his name's above every other name. That's all we do. COVID looks hard today. Surrender to Jesus. He's bigger than COVID. Life is hard. Surrender to Jesus. Your work is hard. Surrender to Jesus. And he will continue to fill us with the Holy Spirit. That's the confidence God wants us to have this year. That we move in the power of the Holy Spirit. That we move expecting to do greater things than Jesus did. That's how we're going to live next year. So what is the future for Lake Effect Church? That's good. See, there's been a lot of talk. Should we close down at the end of this year? There's a lot of people wondering, should we close down? Is Lake Effect Church got to the end? You know, we had a good five years, and is it time to end? It's not time to end. Thank you. We're continuing to go. We're continuing because I believe God has a big plan and a big future for Lake Effect Church. God has big things for us. We might be a small group right now, but that's okay because God has called us to do the same thing that Jesus has done in greater works. And so this year, the next year, there's three things I want to focus on. Number one, I'm going to continue to focus on spiritual formation and discipleship. You've been hearing me the last two years. That's what I like to talk about. That's, kind of, that's my lane. I like talking about spiritual formation. I like talking about prayer and reading the Word and encountering Jesus in your quiet time. Encountering Jesus when you're driving your car. That's what I like to talk about. I like to talk about dealing with your past. Dealing with these obstacles in your life. Living in community. Living in relationship. That's spiritual formation. We're going to still talk about spiritual formation a lot because that's my go-to. Every message, every sermon, there should be some application to talk about spiritual formation. But we're also going to talk this new year about spiritual gifts. We're going to talk about what are your spiritual gifts? How do you use your spiritual gifts? How do you identify your spiritual gifts? What's the difference between a spiritual gift and a natural talent? How do you understand the difference? How do you understand when God is calling you to pray for a sick person? How do you hear the voice of God strategically like Jesus did? How do you live? I think a lot of it, we all know what it's like to surrender. But I think we're all like, how do you live really fully under the power of your Holy Spirit? That's what we're going to focus on in this new year as well. Because in order to be an effective church, you have to have spiritual formation with spiritual gifts. And we also need to be ready to fight against shame. Because shame is the number one thing that prevents any person from operating in their spiritual gifts. Shame tries to block you in your relationship with God and with your relationship with other people. That's why Jesus said he defeated shame on the cross as well. And we need to live with the reality of that. So I want to focus on spiritual formation. I want to focus, focus on spiritual gifts. But we also want to focus on expectations. That our expectations would be increased. That we would expect to encounter God. That we would expect to encounter Jesus. 
that we would all expect to be transformed by the Holy Spirit to be the person we were created to be. So we don't live under the shadow of shame that always says, you're just not good enough. Somebody else can do that stuff, but not you. We're not going to live under that. We're not going to live under that lie of the enemy that says, well, Jesus did those kind of things, but not you. We're going to remember the verse of Psalm 139 that says, God has gone into our future to prepare the way. God's in our future saying, I got this all figured out how to get you there. You don't have to worry about your size or any limitations that you have right now because I can get you there. And we're going to remember the words of Jesus that also say that I'll spare you from the harm of your past. Those are powerful words, what God does for you. We're going to believe in those words and we're going to see those words happen this year because God has good plans for each one of us. But also there's a hurt and a broken world out there that needs people that are surrendered to Jesus and operate under the power of the Holy Spirit. Because there's a lot of people that need prayer. There's a lot of people that need deliverance. There's a lot of people that need to hear prophetic words. There's a lot of people that need encouragement, that need comfort. A lot of people need to hear God's plans that he has for your life. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what we get to do. That's what we have the privilege of doing. So as we approach this new year, we're looking strategically and saying, God, how have you positioned us to fulfill the Great Commission? How have you fulfilled us? Look at the things that you've done in our life to position us so we could be a blessing for other people. See, everything that God has done in my life isn't to end with me like it did with a man with leprosy that I'm like, yay, look what I got, and be done. Everything that God has done in my life is for the sake of other people. It's to bless other people, to encourage other people, to comfort other people. The freedom I've experienced is for the bless other people so they can walk in freedom as well. We might be a small church, but God says, greater works will you all do than me. He didn't say there's a limitation on your size to do great works. But the limitation is if you don't use spiritual gifts or lean on the Holy Spirit, you'll never do greater works. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. You need the power of spiritual gifts, the power of spiritual formation, the power of the fruit of the Spirit, the power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All these things that the Holy Spirit has done, He set us up. He set us up for success. He set us up for victory. He set us up that we can look at the new year and say, yeah, you know what, it looks a little... But you can have peace in the midst of tribulation. That's the word that we remember. You can have a peace in the midst of whatever is happening because we're surrendered to Jesus and whatever you're surrendered to has more power than anything that you're dealing with. So while we might approach the new year with caution, because we don't know how the world's going to go, we, mo we also look at the new year with confidence. Because we serve a God who's overcome. 
We serve a God who's overcome the world. We serve a God who's overcome tribulation. We serve a God who's overcome COVID. We serve a God who's overcome politics. We serve a God that's bigger than any weapon formed against us. And we serve a God who's defeated every weapon formed against us so we can live in victory, so we can live in purpose, and so we can live in direction. So I'm excited for 2022. I'm excited to see what God has in store for each of you. I'm excited to see what God has in store for this fellowship as well. And it's early to be talking about the new year. But I think we need to start having some anticipation in the midst of so much going on. And I think the way we start by having anticipation is remembering Psalm 139, verse 14. I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. We start there. God, thank you how you made me. I don't have to try to be somebody else. I'm going to be Jack next year. And hopefully you will all be who your name is. We're not going to try to be somebody else. We're not going to pretend we're somebody else. We're not going to say, well, my life would be easier if I was a little bit more like Joey. No. I get to be Jack. And you all be who you were created to be. That's what we're going to do on this new year. And we're going to have a lot of fun. And it's going to be rewarding. It's going to be hard work, but it's going to be refreshing. We're going to see people delivered, set free, sent out with gifts and talents and ability. We're going to work hard to see the Great Commission fulfilled. We're going to work hard to be obedient to Jesus. And we're going to be refreshed with abundant peace. It's going to be a good year. So let's finish this year. (laughs) Thank you. Let's finish this year with some anticipation and expectation. So God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this new year that's coming up. And God, I thank you that your word tells us we do not have to fear or worry or have anxiety over the new year. Why? Because you've overcome everything that we're going to have to look at. We thank you, God, for the victory that we have through Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the renewal and the restoration that we have because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. God, I thank you that you tell us to surrender to you and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So God, I come right now and ask, Lord, that you'd fill every person here with your Holy Spirit. That you'd fill every person that's listening online with a refreshing power of the Holy Spirit. God, would you refresh us? Would you equip us? Would you motivate us? God, would you help us to start having some good expectation for the new year? God, help us to move beyond caution into confidence that you're faithful to be with us. God, I thank you for the people that you are going to deliver and set free. I thank you for the people that you are going to encourage and comfort. I thank you, Lord, for the renewal that you're going to bring to us as individuals and to us as a family and to us as a gathering. We thank you, Lord, that we will be a blessing to this city.
God, I thank you for the new things that you are doing. And we thank you, Lord, that I thank you that each person here has been created by you, woven together intricately. And I thank you, God, for making us all mysteriously complex. And I thank you, Lord, for the gifts of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray for people here, maybe they don't even know what their gifts are. That, Lord, in this month and in this new year, Lord, that we would enter in understanding our gifting in a way we've never understood before. And God, I pray that you'd start activating each person in their spiritual gifts as well. That they would start to rise up in us in a way that we would start experiencing our spiritual gifts. May we be led like Jesus to do signs and wonders and miracles. And to see people come to salvation. God, we pray for that. I pray for revival in this neighborhood. I pray for revival in this city. I pray, Lord, for salvation to flow in this city. God, may 2022 be a year many people come to know you. Maybe a year for many people to be equipped to be your disciples. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. my husband. He's used to me taking things from him. Um, I just wanted to share from Romans 8. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, I did a, a little reading. I was very intrigued by that more than conquerors. How can you be more than a conqueror? And it comes from the Greek words uh, hooper and nikeo. Hooper is what we get the word hyper from, and nikeo is, if you think Nike shoes, it's what we get victory from. And so more than conquerors is a, is a hyper-victoriousness that is supposed to go on in our lives, um, which is really exciting. So I'm just going to pray a moment and then let them get on. <laughs> <clears throat> Father God, oh, just thank you for this message today. <clears throat> Your spirit was definitely here um, and speaking through Jack, and we thank you um, for the use of his gifts um, to encourage us to use ours. And Lord, we just thank you for these promises here in your scripture that there is nothing, there is just nothing that is going to get between us and you, between you and us, I should say it that way, I guess. And we just thank you for these promises that you are, are offering us a hyper-victoriousness to our lives. That as Jack said, that no matter hardship, no matter suffering, that we can still live with peace and joy in the midst of that. We can live with power in the midst of that. We can still be a light into a darkened world. And boy, does this world need your light right now. And it needs your salvation right now. And so um, 
right now we might be small, we might be few in this in this house right here, in this building right here, but we are not throughout the world. And even if we are, we are mighty in your power. And so we just we just proclaim that, we thank you for it, and we ask that you continue to pour that into us. Amen. Yeah.